Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme and an alcohol and drug fueled night led to the horrific beating to death of an innocent and defenceless two-year-old little girl. Karen Harrington yesterday was jailed for life after the Central Criminal Court jury found her guilty by a unanimous verdict of the shocking killing of little Santina Cawley. Our, senior, our new news reporter, Mairead Tuig, was in court yesterday and uh, Mairead joins me. Uh, good morning to you, Mairead. Good morning, Patricia. Now, this is truly a a disturbing case. And uh, without getting into the very graphic details, uh, just start by reminding us the details of this horrific case. Yes, so take you back, Patricia, to the the 5th of July 2019. And in the early hours there of that morning, two-year-old Santina Cawley was discovered by her father, critically injured on the floor of Karen Harrington's apartment, now, that was at Elderwood on the Boreen Manor Road in Cork. And, and that the, uh, Santina died from traumatic brain damage and a severe spinal cord injury after suffering a total of 53 different injuries in that apartment. And that's what we heard in court. And Karen Harrington, you know, had been in a relationship with Michael Cawley, who's the father of Santina. And she'd been trusted with looking after Santina while Mr Cawley walked into Cork City Centre for two hours at 3am that morning and she remained completely expressionless as she was convicted yesterday of Santina's murder and as you said there Patricia receiving the the mandatory life sentence. Now when handing down that sentence yesterday Mr Justice Michael McGrath you know he expressed his condolences and he said that Santina Cawley will continue to live long in the memories of those who loved her and he said that the the murder of Santina Cawley you know a defenceless two-year-old child it's truly shocking and he says it goes against nature for parents to bury a child but to lose a child in these circumstances is beyond description and he said the torment you know it's worsened by the knowledge of the terror that Santina was subjected to and the, the brutal nature of her death and Karen Harrington denied the, all, all the charges but she was found guilty by unanimous She was, yeah. It was after four hours and 46 minutes of deliberations that that guilty verdict was delivered yesterday just before 4pm. And as you say, you know, she told the jury that she could not explain what had happened to Santina Cawley in her apartment, as they say, at, at Elderwood. Um, on the Boreen Manor Road and they, I suppose you know in these trials you know there's cross-examination in this case and Sean Glan who's senior counsel for the, the prosecution 
asked her, you know, he said, did you hear the child crying as the hair was torn from her head? Did you hear her crying as her lip was split, crying as her ribs were broken? Did you hear any of that? And it was a, a neighbour, Dylan Alney, had given evidence. And, you know, he said, is Mr Alney making it up when he says he hears the child crying and hears you taunting her? At 4.30am, you know, Mr Alney rang the guards. He said he heard Satina crying. And he asked Karen Harrington, is he making that up? And Karen Harrington replied, I'm not saying he's making that up. She said, I don't know. I don't know where Dylan is coming from by saying that at 4.30am, Santina is crying. So as you say, she denied the charge of murder and, and told the jury that she couldn't explain what happened to a little Santina Cawley. Really tough case for the, the jury, wasn't it, to have to listen to all oh, of the evidence? Very tough. And, and at the end, you know, uh, Mr Justice Michael McGrath, he thanked the jury for their care and their attention to deliberations. And he excused them from jury duty for forever more so they'll never have to, to serve on a, on a jury again. But it was very tough, you know, listening to all of that, you know, harrowing evidence and it was extremely tough case and you know even the investigation guardy you know had said that it was tough for for them you know a lot of them would have had children maybe around the same age that Santina was you know she was two and a half years old she her birthday the 6th of May you know so that that fell on the you know during the trial as well and um, so I suppose I, I can you know go into to victim impact statements because you know we know yeah please, yeah, yeah, yeah please do because both yeah. pair, both the the mom uh, Bridget O'Donoghue and the the dad, uh, Michael Cawley, because what, sto- what, and I had said this on air uh, many times j- during this case, I found it difficult to read what was being spoken about in court. So I could only imagine what everybody in court was going through, but in particular for her mother and father to have to have sat through some of that evidence. Uh, I mean, just, I, I can't even begin to think what they went through. So they both gave quite powerful victim impact statements yesterday. They did, yeah. So uh, I'll have a look here through Bridget O'Donoghue's one, who'd be the, the mom of Santina Cawley. And, you know, she started, she said, Santina was born on the 6th of May in 2017. And she said she was a premature baby. She was small, but still a fighter. She said that she was loved and adored by her family the minute that they saw her. And she was the baby of the family, loved, cherished and spoiled by us all, especially by her nana. And she said, you know, she loved her rhymes, her cartoons and Barney. And she loved her trips to town with her mom and her nana on a Wednesday. And she'd hop into the buggy and she knew the routine. And, you know, she brought so much joy to the family and her brothers and sister adored her. And she was very soft and gentle, yet was hardy, determined and a little fighter. Now, Bridget recalls the morning of the 5th of July, 2019. And she said she got a knock on the door and, you know, she thought it might be Santina returning, only to find that it was a Garda uh, telling her that Santina had been in an accident so she got to the hospital and she said she never imagined what she was going to face when she arrived there she said you know there seemed to be so many doctors and nurses around and she didn't understand what was after happening and eventually she was told you know that Santina had passed away from her injuries and she said she went into a state of shock and couldn't believe what she was being told and when she asked to see her you know Santina was put in her arms and she said she couldn't believe the condition of her she said she was covered in bruises from head to her to toe and her hands were cold and she said that she was so pale and she said that the day Santina passed away you know she took part of me with her she said she's devastated and her heart is in pieces and she said that heart continues every day now Bridget said that you know so many times she's wished that she could turn the clock back and the disbelief that this could have happened she said haunts her every day 
Now, she recalled that her last memory of Santina was her hugging and squeezing her mum and not wanting to leave her. And she said she regrets that so much that day and she wishes she could go back in time. But she said that she never could have imagined that she would get her baby back passed away in her arms and in a dreadful condition. You know, she said, I thought I was leaving her for an overnight stay with her dad and, and would see her the next day. And she said, you know, she hopes that in Santina's last moments that she remembered and felt the love of, of her mother, her nana and her family. She said she wants to get justice for her daughter. She said it'll be the last thing that she can do for her. She said she hopes that in her short life that she'll remember how much she was loved and adored by her mom and her brothers and sister and the bond that she shared with her nana. You know, she said, when I handed Santina over, I thought she would be safe. I never thought this would be the last time I would see her alive. She said she feels angry at the accused Karen Harrington who murdered her baby. And she said she continuously asks herself, how could someone be so cruel to a two-year-old soft and gentle soul? Just how can you hurt a baby like this? And you know, she said, I wonder, was she looking for me in those last moments? What was Santina thinking and feeling during her terrible death? And um, she said the happiness we have shared is what will stay with us and, and help us to keep going. But she said that it that it isn't easy. No, just shocking. I, really, it's, it's heartbreaking. Just heartbreaking. And so I know sad. she went on to thank everybody uh, who helped and uh, supported her. And then her dad, Santina's dad, Michael, also had uh, made a victim impact statement. He did. And he said, you know, Santina was such a beautiful, happy, friendly, caring, fun loving two and a half year old little girl. He said she enjoyed life, always smiling. She loved people. And he said everyone loved her. And he said that she brought joy to his heart. He said she was my pride and joy and I will always be so proud of her. He said, you know, when he looked at some of her clothes and toys in her bedroom, he said it breaks his heart. And he said that he misses the sound of her sweet little voice her laugh, her smile, her beautiful blue eyes and red hair. And he said, you know, she loved music, playing with her dolls and her sister and brothers. And she loved being involved with everything that was happening around her, folding clothes, helping around the house. And he says, you know, Santina's birthday was the 6th of May. And he said, it breaks his heart to visit her grave. And all I've left now are, are heavenly birthdays and memories. And these beautiful memories, he said, can never be taken from him. And he said, you know, since Santina was taken from this world, he feels his life can be described as mental torture. He said, this is honestly the worst thing any parent can go through. And he said he wouldn't wish this on any family. And he said, you know, his future, it's now changed. He said the plans that he had for Santina, you know, was to grow up, to be a happy child, you know, go to school, college and to travel the world together. And he said, now that dream is all gone. He said he finds it difficult to make new plans without her. He said that the constant pain and sadness, you know, living each day without her can be a constant battle and is overwhelming. And he said he's so lucky to have had this beautiful little girl as a daughter in his life. And he said he will always cherish these special two and a half years. You know, he said Santina was brutally murdered and he said the worst thing for him was finding her disfigured body under a blanket. And he said he'll be haunted by this horror for the remainder of his life. And he said, this is beyond words. He said, I have no words. And he said, you know, the trial, it's a difficult process having to sit and listen to graphic details to what happened to Santina. But he said, you know, it's a necessary one. And he said that Santina will always be missed and loved by her devoted dad, mom, sister, brothers, you know, grandparents, aunts, uncles, friends and all those who loved her. 
and he said, you know, when Santina died, people across the country and many other countries contacted him for prayers, mass cards and thoughts of guidance and help. And he said he will always appreciate that kind of support. You know, he said it's difficult to concentrate. And, you know, even when in conversation, he said he's not present and he can go into a daze and he's drawn back to memories of Santina. He said he hopes that he can learn to to find a way to live with this tremendous loss. And he said, she will always be my baby girl, always in my heart. He said, my life will be difficult without her, but please, God, I will find peace in her love, he said. So difficult. And, so, and, and as you mentioned as well, for all the Gardaí that were involved in, in the case, it was a tough case uh, for them. And I know you've recorded a piece from the senior investigating officer, uh, Detective Inspector Danny Collin, who was speaking after uh, the case yesterday. Detective Inspector Danny Collin, the senior investigating officer of this case. So the murder of Santina Cawley has had a profound impact on Santina's extended family and across the community. On Garda Shikana notes the decision the court has made today in the conviction and sentence of Karen Harrington for the murder of Santina. I would like to thank the community in Cork for their assistance and cooperation with the investigation team throughout the investigation into the murder of Santina. The early provision of statements, CCTV, social media clips, doorbell cameras and cooperation with house-to-house inquiries greatly aided this investigation. I would like to particularly thank the dedicated investigation team who have worked in this case for almost three years. Justice for Santina was always the ultimate goal for the team since her murder on the 5th of July 2019. This was a particularly emotive case for the members that attended the scene and the investigation team, many having children of a similar age. Santina was always in our thoughts. We would like to again publicly express our sympathies to Santina's family and Angara Chicano will continue to support them as they continue to grieve for Santina. Thank you. Okay, that was uh, Detective Inspector Danny Collin uh, yesterday. Okay, listen, thank you for that, uh, Mairead. And it is, and Karen Harrington immediately begins her life sentence. She does, yeah. yeah she's beginning her, her life sentence in, in Limerick okay. Prison. All right, listen, Mairead, thank you for that. And thanks uh, for joining us thank on the programme this morning. Good morning, Jane. If anybody has been affected by any of the issues that we've been addressing while speaking with Mairead about the Santina Cawley uh, case, please reach out. Help is available. The Samaritans are available on 116-123. Pieta House is available on free phone one eight hundred. 247247 and you can also contact Connect which is a free telephone counselling and support service for any adult who has experienced abuse, trauma and neglect in childhood and they're available at 1800 477 We're reminded to you that right across this week we're celebrating with the Mallow Home and Garden Festival. Mallow Home and Garden Festival back at the race course in Mallow on the last weekend in May and we have a terrific prize that we're giving away at the end of the week. It's a Parma Ratton modular sofa set. The plan is we have a daily qualifier and on Friday when we have our fifth and final qualifier all the names go into a hat and we will select one winner to win that Ratton sofa set and how we're doing it is every day we're playing 
an audio clip of a well-known person who loves gardening. You have to work out who the person is and then we'll open the text and the WhatsApps a little bit later on. You enter and then we will select our winner for today. And of course, the Mallow Home and Gardens Festival, they've over 200 exhibitors. It's the incredible garden shows because, of course, they've got the permanent gardens, which is a rather uh, unique aspect to this particular garden uh, festival. And if you are planning on travelling to Mallow for the Garden Festival, there is a free bus service from the Mallow train station each day and the Mallow Garden Festival is in Cork Race Course in Mallow May 26th 20, 27th, 28th and 29th of May with C103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Almost 6,000 Ukrainian pupils are now enrolled in Irish schools all over the country with the biggest concentration in County Clare, County Kerry and with ourselves here in Cork. Almost 4,000 are in primary schools with just close to 2,000 pupils enrolled in secondary schools. To find out how some of them are getting on, I'm joined by Siobhan Buckley, who is principal of the Presentation National School in Mill Street. Good morning to you, Siobhan. Good morning, Patricia. Good to talk to you. Well, great to talk to you as well. Now, how many Ukrainian pupils have you enrolled in the school at the moment? Yeah, so we have 24 pupils enrolled, Patricia, spanning from junior infants up to sixth class. So right right across the entire school. Absolutely. Now, everybody knows that the the refugees arrived in uh, Mill Street over the Easter holidays. Did you sort of put planning in place almost immediately or how did it all work? Um, I suppose it happened the weekend just before we came back to school. So I went down to the accommodation centre myself and just had a few words there and just, you know, I just needed a profile of the age... Um, the ages of the children and so then my colleague across the road in the in the boys school both of us went down on the Monday then with our registration forms and I suppose the great challenge there Patricia was filling the forms because these parents have no English you know so um, we were very lucky the, we have a lovely lady living in Mill Street who is from Ukraine and she was there to help us and you know that that was our greatest challenge and you know, the parents were really enthusiastic to get their children into school as soon as possible. You know, they, they just, I'd say they felt normality would be good for them. So by Wednesday, we the children had started. As quick as, as, quick as that. Yeah. Go, mm-hmm. go, go back to that Wednesday. What was day one like, Javon? Day one, you know what? It was like uh, junior infants starting on the 1st of September all over, except you had every age group, really. You know, they were very kingy. God loved them to their parents and uh, just didn't really want to separate from them. And, you know, it's quite daunting, a busy schoolyard with 200 other pupils buzzing around the place, you know. But again, I have to say, our own pupils were just gorgeous to them, you know. They were, you know, each class knew, you know, um, were they getting boys or girls? They had their names. Some of them had learned welcome phrases. Um, It was just heartening, really, you know. so, you know, I'd say for maybe three or four days, we, you know, we let the parents come in to the classrooms, whatever they needed to settle the children. But you know what? I, I was out there now this morning and the children are bouncing in themselves. You know, <laughs> mum and dad stay at the gate. It, it, it really is lovely. It, it's amazing, really, how resilient they are yeah. and how they have adapted. Yeah. Yeah. And are, are they bright little children eager to learn? Um, you know, the, the one thing I'll say is their parents are eager for them to learn. Oh. You know, they are really <laughs> ambitious for them. You know, they're telling us that you know some are telling us that the work isn't hard enough, and they want homework. And you know, <laughs> I suppose we took a very softly, softly approach initially, just to 
settle them in. But, you know, they weren't having any of it. I'd say they see it as an opportunity for the children to improve their English. Yeah. They're very anxious that their mathematics is on par with what they would have been doing in Ukraine. And, Patricia, you must remember some of these kids are online from 7 to 9 in the morning before they ever come in to us. You know, so... They're online doing... They're with their Ukrainian teachers. Oh, oh, yeah. oh they're like over Zoom. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, they're doing yeah. that on top of going into school. Completely, not all, but some. Yeah, <laughs> they're, they're, that's, that's, it, it is fantastic. But I think the parents are right is to try and get. I was reading a piece of them on the papers this morning from another part of the country where a group of parents were saying that they're trying to make it as normal as possible for the children. I mean, obviously, the, the hearts and minds of a, of a lot of the parents are back with their family oh. members in in Ukraine. Completely, and, and I'm assuming for the children as well. They're their dads, older brothers, grandparents. Yep. They have family members back in Ukraine. Completely. And you see, this is where the whole interpretive thing and language breaks down. You would love to be able to, to talk to them and soothe them. And, well, you can't really reassure them, but just comfort them. And, you know, you know, talk to them about their reality. But, you know, our greatest challenge really is the communication. Is and, it? Yeah. Oh, my God, if, if we had an interpreter... Um, on campus, it would be just amazing, you know. And, you know, there are um, Ukrainian teachers down in Green Glens who, speak, who are trained to teach English, and the Teaching Council is trying to fast-track their registration, and it would be just amazing for us if we just had somebody that could speak their native tongue on campus. Um, you know, they, their, their faces light up when, you know, when they hear their own languages. Yeah, because, yeah. of course, uh, included in many of the uh, adult refugees who arrived, of course, many of them are teachers. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I mean, it would be a win-win situation. They're very anxious to work. I've spoken to one lady already and I'm trying to get her um, registered, you know, and they, they're really anxious to work and, and get involved and stay occupied and, yeah. you know. And, yeah. uh, and, and it, God help them, it's a distraction for them uh, as, so. as well. Then on the, the practical side of it, what about uniforms and books? Uh, how have you managed yeah. with all of that? So again, I suppose we got very little notice. So the children are in their, their ordinary clothes and, okay. you know, I suppose that's my one regret. If we had got a bit of notice, I would have, you know, got uniforms organised. Now, we are on it at the minute. It and okay. we will offer it to the parents if if they if they want them there is no problem um we didn't go down the route of, of really buying textbooks uh, the photocopier is going to <laughs> give up i say but look at it's okay if it's working yeah. out fine um if the department would throw a bit of funding our way now to to support mm. all this you know it would be great and you know i'm looking down the road now the month of june we have school tours wouldn't it be lovely to be able to take them on the school tours oh, you know absolutely so, um, absolutely you know i am onto the department um about that but just talk to me about the department i mean what type of support are you getting from the department of okay Education? now i will say um once i contacted them and said i had 24 pupils on campus uh, within 24 hours, I had a full-time EAL teacher, which is English as an additional language. Okay. So, look, credit where credit is due, um, that came on board, you know. But again, this teacher is Irish trained. She's no Ukrainian. Mm. So, you know, while, and again, she's doing her brief is to improve their English and their, it, it, it is happening. I meet the children in the yard in the morning. They can greet you and how are you? And, you know, their spoken English is improving. Brilliant. But, um you know, it's just the whole, um, I suppose, understanding the children in their hour of need really is a, is the challenge. But, uh, you know, things are improving. We're getting there. Yeah, but you've, you're, I mean, you've gone, like, 
you've got two two hundred pupils in the school, so you over over ten percent addition of pupils. Are you are you maxed at this stage? Is that as many as you you um, could believe you could take, or could you take more? Yeah. Uh, well, we're going over thirty in all, but one class, um, Patricia. So you know, I communicate with the person overseeing the whole provision in Green Glens, and I've said that. And you know, now the outlying schools. Have, are, are taking pupils as they arrive. I'm not sure if any more have come, mm. but, you know, that's just the way it is. We have capacity in one class. I've let that be known. And uh, outside of that, then the, the country schools are going to um, accept enrolment, which is which is great, it and it's be. and yeah. it's great for some of the country schools as well because they have capacity uh, oh, in 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 a lot of the schools. Do you believe, Siobhan, that everyone is gaining from the experience? Well, I, I can see it here, you know. Um, now, I suppose, Patricia, I will say, I suppose Mill Street has a very proud history of um, ha- taking in children from other countries, OK? We have our direct provision centre in the town for many years. Back in the day, the children from Kosovo were welcomed into this school, you know. We have a very strong, vibrant Polish community living here due to the employment opportunities around. So, I, I, you know, I, I don't mean to be trite, but... Um, it's, it's nothing new to us, I know, essentially, I know, yeah, you know, yeah. and um, there's a great sense of inclusion here, you know, um, fostered by my predecessor, Joan O'Mahony, and many more people before me. So, you know, it, it's nothing new to us, but I would definitely advocate it for any school. I think it's really important. I think children learn um, acceptance, tolerance, embracing other cultures, other religions. You know, it's it's it, it, it's a reflection of life, really. Yeah, well said, well said, and and I firmly believe lifelong friendships will be made. These children, uh, please God, sooner rather than later, will go back in life. Will hopefully return to normal for them in the Ukraine. But oh, I think the, the children in Mill Street will never forget their little Ukrainian friends, and the Ukrainian kids will never forget their their friends in Mill Street uh, either. And I think the whole town of Mill Street, it's a there's a great community spirit in the area as uh, well. One hundred percent, you know, and uh, already now. They're there's a lovely family fun day organised for the 22nd in the town park by IRD and it's for the Ukrainian families and, you know, we will all show for it. Well done, well done, Nikki. And all be very proud. You're relatively new as as principal. I was appointed, um, Patricia, in January um, just before COVID. So, oh, you're yeah. one of the one of I've the been co- in and I've been out. Yeah, <laughs> one yeah. of the COVID principles. God, exactly. That's, yeah, a, yeah, that's a baptism yeah. of fire, wasn't it? Absolutely. But again, I've great teachers and SNAs here who just work with me, and we're we're all in it together. So, yeah. Well, yeah, well, 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 well done to each and to every one of you. Thank uh, and you. Siobhan, thank you for taking time out to talk Not to us Not at today. all. Good morning to you. Take bye care. Bye, 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 bye. That is uh, Siobhan Buckley, who's principal presentation National School in Mill Street with 24 pupils uh, enrolled. I can't believe it's across all the classes from junior infants right up to uh, sixth. And that, of course, is reflected in many, many other schools around the country with now almost 6,000 Ukrainian pupils uh, in our schools today. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. To mark International Clinical Trials Day, which is happening this Friday, Cancer Trials Ireland will host a free webinar for members of the public with the aim to get patients to ask their 
their doctors about clinical trials and also to try to dispel some of the myths associated with these trials. To chat further, I'm joined by Cork-based Professor Seamus O'Reilly, who's a consultant medical oncologist, but he's also vice clinical lead with Clinical Trials at Ireland. Good morning to you, Seamus. Good morning, Patricia. Thanks for having us on the paper, on the the meeting. uh, You're you're welcome to the programme. Do many Irish cancer patients take part in clinical trials? A significant number, at least 400 a year and several thousand over the past uh, 20 years that Cancer Trials Ireland has been in existence. And um, the the patients who have gone on those trials have really helped us develop and improve cancer care significantly. So... And outcomes from cancer have improved every year for the last two decades. And that's mainly because of advances in care, better integration of care, and new drugs being, which have been developed and then integrated into, into standard care. But the clinical trials had to take place in order to know how to use those drugs best. And obviously going on, on a trial can and does uh, save lives or prolongs life. But I'm, I'm assuming it also can improve the patient's quality of life. Yes. So for some of the trials we're, we do, it isn't that we're putting in a new treatment, but we're looking at ways of reducing an existing treatment. So less treatment is, a, is better quality of life. The challenge in medicine is does less treatment lead to worse outcomes. So what you want to do in the trial is make sure that it doesn't reduce the cancer survival rate. And would it be right in thinking that if you're on a clinical trial, will you get to see your medical team more often? Well, there's there's two layers of supervision here. There's the clinical trial team that are involved in the trial. So they're they're the commanders in chief uh, uh, because they're involved in the study. And then there's uh, the referring team that refers in for the trial. Generally, when people are on the trial, it's the clinical trials team that look after them. Okay. In, in medicine and in like in life, divided responsibility is no responsibility. So it's very important that the clinical trial team and everybody involved in the patient's care knows that the that that, that they're in the decision making seat. But who decides if somebody is suitable for a trial? So trials become available in Ireland through people developing tri- clinical trials here. Uh, through our association with international groups um, and those are assessed in our clinical trial network to see is this trial relevant to the patients we see and then the trial goes through ethics and regulatory processes and risk management processes uh, and then becomes available in our clinical trials units. And do some patients worry that if they go on a clinical trial, they might be receiving a placebo and, and therefore not getting the, the treatment? Or is that a myth? It's a myth, but it's also a reality. So I think that there is always that sense of, am I going to get less? Um, so in a clinical trial, we're looking at the standard of care, what, what we would do today in the clinic, and whether a new drug adds value to that or adds benefit to that. So everybody gets a standard of care and then half the patients get the standard of care plus the new treatment. Okay, but everybody is getting care, is, is, is what to. you're saying, yeah. Uh, and then, um, Seamus, talk to me about cost. I mean, is there a cost involved in for the patient taking part? When we're developing a trial, we look at what extra cost the, being on the study has relative to standard of care and there's reimbursement for that. There's no charge for the drugs, et cetera, that are involved in the trial. They're covered as part of the trial. Okay. And that's often the most expensive part. 
And when somebody signs up, you know, they might be a bit nervous about it. Can they opt out? Yes. They can. Right to withdraw at any stage. And are all of the trials that would be used in this country, Seamus, are they all approved by, by a regulator so that nobody is being used as a guinea pig? Yes. So there's multiple layers. Um, there's the HPRA, which are the Irish Medicines Board. There's the National Research Ethics Committee. There's risk management offices in each of the hospitals where the trials are conducted. There's data protection officers to make sure that our data GDPR is is intact and preserved and honoured. Um, so there's multiple layers. There's a huge complexity with it. And where can people find out more about trials that are currently taking place? So the, the all of the clinical trials that are in, in the country at the moment in cancer medicine are on the Cancer Trials Ireland website. So www.cancertrials.ie. Uh, we're also having a webinar, a public one, at, at, on, on Friday afternoon at 2 o'clock. And if people want to register for that, they're more than welcome. It's info, I-N-F-O at cancertrials.ie is the email address. And people can find out more about the Cancer Trials on that yes. uh, we- webinar. All right, listen, Seamus, thank you for that and, and continue good luck with the with the trials that are uh, going ahead in this country. But we thank you for taking time out to talk to us this thank morning. You. Good Thanks morning to you. Bye-bye, bye-bye. Thank bye-bye. You. That is Cork-based Professor Seamus O'Reilly, consultant medical oncologist, but he's also vice clinical lead with Cancer Trials Ireland. As I say, that's in, in advance of International Clinical Trials Day which is happening this uh, Friday. John Paul taking your calls at 0818103103. You can text our WhatsApp to 0862103103. Remember yesterday we were talking about the cost of car hire and I, I actually brought this up myself because I had been taking a look at uh, car hire over the weekend because I have my sister-in-law and her family coming from Australia and they're coming for... Uh, three weeks in July and just I could not believe the cost of renting a car in Ireland particularly when they need to rent it for 20, 21 days. It's astronomical. I actually felt I was buying a car. Some of the prices that, that were coming in and that led, I mentioned it yesterday, it led to other people saying yeah, very same thing is happening and the fear factor is as somebody who is involved in the tourism industry is fearful that it's actually going to turn off some overseas visitors from coming to this country because we know we're Worldwide. It isn't just in Ireland car hire has gone expensive. It's expensive worldwide because as we explained yesterday, there's a shortage of car hire all over the world. And of course, when we get to supply and demand, we know what happens. So the fear is that if somebody is travelling, say somebody's coming from the States or somebody's coming from Europe or the UK and they're planning on flying into this country, but they need a car because they want to get around the country, that before they're even booking flights or hotels, they're now starting to go on the car hire companies and they're realising that's way too expensive and then they might decide to go uh, elsewhere. And there doesn't seem to be much of a solution to, uh, certainly the cost of car hire is not going to come down any time soon is certainly not going to come down uh, this year because most of the car hire companies have only about 50% of the stock that they would have had before the pandemic and it is going to take I would say well into next year before they get their stock back up to where it was uh, pre-pandemic but when I was talking about you know in my case it's family coming home uh, to stay and that would will be the same for a lot of families are going to have loved ones uh, coming home and maybe some people haven't been home since the pandemic and lots of 
plans made for family holidays. Well, Trisha Blackpool got on to us when she heard me yesterday. And this might be a suggestion for some uh, people. She's got a lot of family who are living in the United Kingdom and she also has relatives living in the States. And it's always the time that during the summer months, various relations are coming, uh, coming and going and visiting and all of that. And previously, what they would always have done, they would have hired a car. But obviously, they're finding themselves in this situation. The car hire is simply too expensive. So one of Trisha's cousins came up with the idea of purchasing a car. So he purchased a second hand car and he's keeping it. He's got a shed where he's able to store the car. Uh, she reckoned he bought the car for about two and a half thousand. It's roadworthy. It's past NCT. It's done all of that and it's fully, fully serviced. Everything's fine about it. And then as the different relatives start to arrive in, in the country, they take out short term ins- insurance and then they're able to drive the car around for the week or the two weeks that they're home here. And she said they're currently sorting out the uh, insurance for somebody who's travelling in the coming weeks. But she said it's, it's, you know, it's it's a way to save money and it might be a good suggestion to put it out there for others who may consider, particularly if you have a lot of family who are going to be travelling over at various times during the summer, actually buying a car. As I say, Trish, when I was looking at the cost of, I mean, there was one car I looked at for the 20 days that they would need to hire the car. It was eight and a half thousand euro. And I was thinking you'd, you'd buy a jolly nice car, wouldn't you? For eight and a half thousand euro. I don't want to buy it. I just want to rent it for the three weeks. Crazy indeed. So thank you, Trish. That's a good suggestion and one that might be used by other families. And just to let fans of Derry Girls, I don't know if I'm a huge, huge fan of Derry Girls. I think a lot of us in the building, I know myself and John Paul, always the morning after the Derry Girls are on. Well, did you watch it last night? It's the first thing we do in the office. It's our water cooler moment. We'll talk about the previous night's episode of Derry Girls. And tomorrow night, just, or sorry, tonight, it's on on Tuesday nights. Just to let you know, tonight is the last night the sixth episode so that's kind of the last one in the series but what they've decided to do because we know that Derry Girls for this season season three is the finale there isn't going to be another Derry Girls there can't be because of the if you're even looking at the age of the actors and actresses there can't be Uh, but also Lisa McGee the writer has said no Derry Girls comes to an end at season three. She had it in her head what way it was going to finish out. So this is the last season. There, w- there will not be another one. So for as a kind of a grand finale for series three, uh, Channel 4 will broadcast a one hour extended episode, which with the setting will be the Good Friday Agreement and that will air tomorrow night. So there'll be the one episode, the one normal half hour episode tonight and then tomorrow night's episode will signal the, the complete end of the comedy drama and it will look at Derry one year on as the friends prepare it'll be their final year in school and Erin and Orla will have their joint earth 18th birthday party so if like me you're a fan of Derry Girls we've got a double whammy this week the half hour episode tonight and then the absolute grand finale but it'll be a one hour and that's on tomorrow night the wonderful Elton John if you are a fan of Elton John you will well know that the rocket man is planning on saying goodbye and he's got this farewell tour plan and I love the fact that he's calling it the farewell yellow brick road and Elton John has confirmed that this will be his final tour He's not one of those, as many other artists have done. They've done a final tour and then they come back and say, oh, we'll do another one more final tour. Elton John says, this is it, folks. And if you have never seen Elton John live, this is your last chance to see him live. And I've seen him live in the past and he is 
incredible in uh, concert and to celebrate that the Rocket Man is saying goodbye C103 wants to send you and a friend not to see him once we're planning on sending you to see him twice the first concert we will get you to is in Anfield in Liverpool that's on the 17th of June we'll get you safely home and then you'll just have a couple of weeks to wait and you'll be off again again this time to Porky Creeve in Cork where of course Elton John is playing on the 1st of July. How do you enter this amazing competition? You have to listen to C103 from next Monday and you'll be listening out for the hits of Elton John and there are so many hits of Elton John. What will happen is at various stages across all of the programmes, we will play two Elton John songs back to back. So when you hear the first one, wait and see. Is there a second song played? If there is, you'll then need to text our WhatsApp to be in with a chance to win. But it's it's a brilliant, brilliant prize. A great chance to experience Elton John twice with Blackpool Shopping District. No gimmicks, no notions, no paid parking, just shopping. It's what they do best. And we're kicking off our Elton John uh, Farewell Yellow Brick Road. We're kicking it off next Monday, only on C103. John Paul's taking your calls at 0818103103. Anything you want to share with us this morning, you can also text our WhatsApp to 0862103103. And I can see so many people have sent in texts just saying how when we were talking about the Santini-Cawley case, just thinking of the parents uh, today, her mum and dad and the extended family and just wanting to send on their deepest, deepest, uh, once again, their deepest, deepest uh, condolences. It is such a sad case. It really is. Okay, we need to take a break. We have news at 11 with Barry Amani on the way. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Thank you to Mary who sent me in a WhatsApp to make sure that I would remember to mention and to keep in our thoughts little Saoirse Runan who's having a major surgery today. Mary in her WhatsApp says she had me in tears with her appearance on the Late Late Show last Friday night thinking of her poor uh, parents and of course uh, Saoirse Runan is the little star of the Late Late Toy Show from a couple of years ago. Uh, she's just nine and she had first appeared on the Late Late Show, the Late Late Toy Show in 2020 where she shared her story of how she had lost her right leg to cancer and how she'd learned to walk in her little prosthetic leg and she she is so full of life and it was the positivity that oozed out of this little girl and of course she was part, it was the same Late Late Toy Show that our own little Adam King was on with his virtual hug that made a star out of him but Searsha was on because they launched that uh, fundraising appeal that now has almost become synonymous with the toy show and a lot of money was raised because of that and a lot of money was raised because of little Searsha and her telling her story but then unfortunately her mother had to share the news on Instagram last week. Her mother Rosanna says as with Searsha's previous tumour in her tibia this tumour is rare 
in its position and it is located in her lung. She said the tears rolled down our cheeks as we sat and listened to the risks involved but we have faith in our team and we leave them now to take care of our very special little girl and today she is undergoing the operation which her mum has described as this is the fight of her life. Rosanna, her mum, says the whole family are very frightened because it is obviously major surgery. And she went on then to ask people to please, please keep Searsha in your hearts as we go forward now and take this first step in a long road to keep her where she truly belongs here with us. And actually her mum went on to thank people for all the messages and the prayers and the candles and the words of encouragement and the relics and the mass cards and the gifts that have come from all over the country. She said that the love that people have shown us, she said, is truly, truly astounding. And uh, so today, more than ever, please keep little Saoirse Runan in your uh, thoughts. And uh, if you are one for the prayers, say an extra prayer for Saoirse today or light a candle just to think of her and uh, and indeed the team working on her today and her family. Really, as any parent will know, when you're dropping a child down for any kind of an operation, that, you know, that final bit where you, you're, you know, in most cases, cases, and I'm assuming it'll be the same for Saoirse, they're allowed into the operating room with her and then as she goes to sleep, you have to leave and it's just gut-wrenching to have to walk away. But particularly when you're thinking of the type of operation that Saoirse has to undergo go today and we pray for the medical team working on her that they'll bring all of their skill set and that there will be a positive outcome for little Saoirse. Uh, God be good to her and the family and thank you to Mary for that text just to remind me of it. I did have it marked though Mary but she put the reminder which is always good to get. And then another list of my texts hi Patricia how did the Cork School get on in the School of Vision song contest that you spoke about last week they came second we actually we announced it on Friday they, yeah it was because it was, it was it was held on Friday they've won it for the Capabui National School they have won it for the two previous uh, years they knew they were up against it with Ukraine similar to to the Eurovision Song Contest and Ukraine did win the School of Vision but uh, Capabui came came second which is fantastic and they got great scores as well and they were thrilled absolutely thrilled and delighted uh, with that thank you for your text Hi Patricia would any of your listeners have any tips please on how to get rid of rabbits they're eating all of the flowers etc this is kind of a it's an annual problem it comes up every single year and without fail we have it on the gardening slot with uh, Peter Dowdle and people come up with all kinds of different, I know you can dig down and put sort of wire fencing down, but that can be a major job. One of the tips that Peter Dowdle said he wouldn't consider because he hates the idea of touching human hair is if you can get to a hairdresser and ask them to collect up, you know, the hair that they sweep up off the floor and see if you place that around flowers that for some reason the rabbits don't like it. I don't know 100% if it works, but I have heard about it. But let's see if anybody else has any kind of a tip or is there any product on the market that our listener can use to stop the rabbits uh, eating all of the flowers in her garden. Your tip's welcomed, please. 0818 or you can text our WhatsApp. And householders, 
will get €4,800 per year if they're hosting Ukrainian refugees and it is looking now like that the payment will be backdated and it is due to kick in in July is hopefully when the payment will be made. The Cabinet, it's actually this morning, they're going to sign off, this is the final approval, to pay €400. It's a monthly payment for householders that take in refugees Householders will be given, uh, who've, who've also given their second home. You know, a number of householders have given up, say they've got a fam, they've got a holiday home and they decided rather than use the holiday home this summer, they will give it over to Ukrainian refugees instead. Other people have a property, maybe, you know, granny isn't in the property anymore and the house is sitting there. Uh, people have handed over houses like that as well to Ukrainian uh, refugees. So people who've passed on an, a home and allowed refu- refugees to live in them, they're also to receive this €400 Euro payment because at the start it looked like the €400 Euro payment was only going to go to families who had a spare room who was taking in refugees but they're also going to give it now to people. The government will give it to people who've given over a second home. It'll be paid directly into people's bank accounts. It'll be administered by the Department of uh, Social Protection with their funding coming from the Department of Children. Now it's understood that householders will have to apply to receive the payment and I just hope that they make this as simple a process as possible and certainly for households who've opened up a spare one or two spare bedrooms the idea behind the 400 euro is to help the Irish families who are taking in the refugees to pay for the additional costs like the utility bills electricity bills will go up if you've got an extra one or two people staying in your house obviously there's additional food costs etc so it's to go towards that won't cover all of the costs but it'll go somewhere uh, towards it. Now new laws it seems have to be introduced in order for this payment to be put in place so that's why the government will sign off on it the new laws then will have to be put in place and that's why they're saying they're expecting the payment to kick in from July senior government sources were unable to say last night how much the measure is going to cost but that's got a lot to do with this is demand led so they're saying at the moment looking at the figures of the refugees that are coming in and the number of people who've offered homes and the number of people that have already opened up their homes it could be anything between 20 million and 50 million and that's what the government are budgeting for at the moment. The latest figures estimate that there's just a little over 30,000 Ukrainian refugees have arrived in the state since the start of the war. I know I was looking at figures last week and certainly the numbers arriving every day have slowed down to what they were at the start or certainly a month into the war there was much more refugees coming to this country but it has uh, slowed down and the Irish Ray Cross yesterday they have come out with a figure of 10,200 properties that they say they've now done the checks and they've been cleared for refugees to stay there and that was through the refugee accommodation pledges. So if you're going on those figures at 12 at, and 12 and a tw- say over a year 12 monthly payments of 400 euro that would work out at 49 million euro now at the moment fewer than 900 refugees have been accommodated in homes so far so if there's now 10200 homes available that number should certainly increase and despite early proposals paving the way for the payment to be processed initially they were saying by the revenue commissioners the social protection minister Heather Humphreys she agreed no that her department instead will process the uh, payment the measure will be formally signed off by the minister's 
today. They, of course, got the green light last Thursday. That was the first meeting of the Cabinet Subcommittee. You know, this Cabinet Subcommittee that has been set up, which is to do with the country's response to the Ukrainian crisis. So they signed off on it last week. And now the full Cabinet will sign off on it today. And the government hopes that the payment will also incentivise more people to open up their homes to refugees. And I have a funny feeling as well, because certainly even just um, st- um, uh, anecdotally to this programme, we had, would have received a number of calls in the early days when the Irish Refugee Council had opened up the pledge the pledge phone line and were asking people to pledge any property or any rooms they had in their homes. We certainly had people contact us to say that they'd love to do it, but they felt financially they couldn't afford it, that if the ESP costs, the electricity costs went up or their food bills went up, but if they were given any kind of financial assistance, they certainly had a spare room that they would be willing to open open up. So I do think I do think that this will incentivise now that it goes into law from today, now that it gets passed today and that people start to find out that they can get €400 Euro a month. I do think more people will open up their homes and that means then for the government it certainly will be cheaper because at the moment so many of the refugees are being accommodated in hotel accommodation and that's obviously much much more costlier than 400 euro per month and also the knock-on as well there was a piece I I was reading earlier this morning about they're really worried about the summer season the tourist season coming up because there could be a problem with hotel accommodation not just for tourists arriving but also for people here in Ireland planning on staycationing or maybe going away for a long weekend there could be a problem that we won't have enough hotel accommodation because so many hotel bedrooms are are now currently being used by Ukrainian refugees so um, we know we have a housing crisis so it isn't as easy for the local authorities to suddenly be finding accommodation for them so if 10,200 properties that have been cleared by the Red Cross if refugees could move into those accommodation and get them out of hotels and it would be better for them to get them out of hotels as well but obviously the cost will come down for the government as well and then those hotel beds will become available for tourists and staycationers and people who just need wanted to get away on a bit of a break so it could be really a win-win all round 0818 103 103 John Paul taking your calls C103 Jobs With Munster Technological University Enhance your career prospects with MTU's range of full-time, part-time and professional courses. Succeeding together with mtu.ie. Medical personnel from all nursing disciplines, paramedics and allied staff, all urgently required. Now, it's a contract basis in the North Cork area. CVs, please, outlining your work experience to info at nursesupport.ie or you can call Anne on 87 Community Employment Scheme in Rathmore. They've got vacancies for care assistants and for care workers. Call Sean 089-2247454. Full-time administrator required for the Blue Cube in Goulds Hill in Mallow. Full job description and application form is available on their website www.cdys.ie forward slash vacancies. And Stunner's Hair Salon in Mallow. Looking for a fully qualified hairstylist? You need to have a minimum of five years' experience. Inquiries, please, to Catherine at 022 43229. Or you can send your CV to Stunner's Hair Salon at gmail.com. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.com 
cork.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Cork today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. With an energy crisis in this country and costs rising almost on a daily basis, many listeners to the programme have asked, why are we not exploring some of the oil fields off the Irish coast. Well, only last week, West Cork Dáil Deputy Michael Collins raised the Barry Row oil field and why it's not been optimised. And Deputy Michael Collins uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning. Uh, and you're welcome. I suppose for listeners who are not aware of the oil field off Barry Row, tell us a bit about it. Well, first of all, um, when this government was formed, they made a decision that they wouldn't um, uh, take into account any more new uh, licenses looking for exploration of oil off of Ireland. But the Barry Royal field was an existing uh, license uh, that was in the system and just needed, uh, I suppose, a little bit more work to bring it along the line to bring it to some fruition. Now, I suppose with the Green government, they're very much against um, exploring for oil uh, off our coast, but that's that's fine to say that if you have um, if you're guaranteed supply from abroad. At this present time, we can guarantee supply from, from anywhere uh, at the moment. We're totally dependent on importing uh, 100% of our oil, 100% of our coal, and 70% of our gas. And that's coming in from the UK uh, to Scotland, just through uh, basically one one uh, line straight into Ireland via Scotland. Now, if, that, if, if the UK decide to reduce their supply to Ireland, if the UK decide to double the price, if the UK decide to, to, to disconnect, which is highly unlikely to disconnect, the, the the oil import into, into this country, we're in a serious crisis. And the sad thing is, Patricia, we have it at our own doorstep. We don't need to be dependent on anyone, Russia, UK, anyone, for our own energy supply as such, as we have a, a fantastic opportunity off of Barry Row, which happens to be in West Cork and the constituency I represent. But it doesn't matter where it could be. I should be, I should be fighting the same way if it was off of Waterford or off of Dublin. But the fact is, Barry Row Field is a, one of the largest undeveloped oil and gas fields offshore Europe. Yeah, and it's and oil it, and gas. It's oil and gas. It gives us an, phenomenal opportunities. Uh, obviously, there can be up to 1,200 jobs could roll out from there. There's a boost to the local economy of up to 30 million a year. But besides all that, it gives us energy. We say it's a solution, number one, and it gives us our own independence in relation to our own our own fuels, which we don't have at this present time. And it's a very, very dangerous time to be playing ball with, with our energy supplies. And that's what the government are doing. And I took the opportunity last week in leaders' questions to raise this issue with the Taoiseach. I did the same in February 2021 with the, with the, sorry, with the Tarnister, Leo Varadka. And I didn't, I'm, I'm very disappointed with the answer I got from the Taoiseach last week. He kept uh, pointing towards energy, like we say renewables, um, wind energy, and I'm 100% for them. I'm, I'm 110% for them, even though they might think I'm not. But the, he kept saying, well, in 2035, this is what's going to happen there. Well, we can't wait in Ireland for 2035 or 2040. We have to look after 2022 and 23 and 24 and 25. And this is why there's a solution here off our own shore that we need to talk about and not talk about. He went on about turf. I never mentioned turf. He went on about the Carberry Milk Company, which are a great company, but I never mentioned that at the time. Um, and I wanted to talk and concentrate on this, but he'd done everything he, he could to distract away from the question. And But the questions are still going to linger and they're going to have to be answered sooner or later as to why we haven't used or haven't uh, de- further developed the, uh, the Barry Royal field. 
Yeah, and I was reading a piece about it. I mean, they reckon that there could be more than 30, 300 million barrels of recoverable oil from the Barry Row field. And because of that ban for new exploration and extraction, it, it you know, it might be the only Irish field that will ever uh, produce uh, oil. Uh, and where are we at with the, the licence and the work on the Barry Row field? Well, you see, it's in the system already. So, like, you know, the ban states no new licences will be uh, yeah. granted. That's sort of, that's, that's okay. Well, I don't find that okay in these times, but we have to accept what's there at the moment. So this was in the system, and it needs to be further progressed. The company, the same as the company in Barrioa, that are are are, are uh, going to carry out the, the, the drilling there, plus the Corrib field, um, are trying to meet with Minister Ryan. He refuses to meet with them, and I asked that to the teacher and can be seen in my um, my my leader's questions last week was if the if Minister Ryan is decided he's closed completely into, we'll say, solutions that are out there, would he meet with them himself? Would he appoint, con- consider appointing a Minister of Energy who will listen to alternatives? Because this is this is the situation we're in at the moment, Patricia. We have to listen and we have to work with alternatives. We we'll, we'll look forward to the day that the renewable energy, and I said it to the Taoiseach, I said, you know, it is a, a, unfortunately a long time away before we have the boats of Court Mayshire, Union Hall, Scholar, Castleton Bay are going to be ran by renewable energy. It's not going to happen for many, many decades or many years and running into maybe 15, 20 years. So what are we going to continue to do? Look abroad and hope that everything goes according to plan that we can continue to get supply. It's not going according to plan as, as we speak. It could, it could be, we could be priced out of it. We could be, they could be um, sanctioning the amount that comes in here. We're in a very, very diff- dangerous situation. I think we ca- we have our own energy supply here and we need to look at that and work at that. And when the renewables come into place, that can be moved aside. Surely be to God that can be written into any contract. In. But as you say, it's it's not in the foreseeable future. And, and you're right. Everybody accepts that the way forward is renewable. And, you know, we're an island nation. And I think if we had wind farms all around our shore, I, you know, we we could be self-sufficient. We could be exporting energy, but we are a long, long way. Hand on heart, Michael, I don't even, even think it would ever be in my lifetime. I'd like to think it would be. But in the meantime, uh, allowing for we all want renewable energy, but while we're waiting, do you think the government should consider reversing that ban on the licences for new exploration and extraction? Well, I, I, first and foremost, I, I, I think, you know, and I brought this up in February 21, 2021, sorry, in the dog, before they were jettling and TDs, you know, kind of uh, irate or, or anger that I brought up. This time there wasn't there wasn't one uh, TD uh, said or, or made any noise to the side of me while I was talking, because they know the crisis we're in. They know something has to happen. We can all dream and we can all talk, beautiful talk about what could, what's going to happen down the road, but we're talking about today and tomorrow, and today and tomorrow we have a crisis. And this is a way out of a crisis, a fantastic way out of our own, of a crisis that we can supply it ourselves. And that's something that we need to work towards. And if the T-shirt isn't willing, there's a new T-shirt we'll say in a few months' time, someone has to wake up here and see the bigger picture. Are, are they going to leave us end up rationing fuel, even though we don't need to ration fuel? How, are they going to, is it going to be in a situation that we're going to not be able to afford to pay for the fuel when we have it ourselves and we can actually control the prices? Is this the way the Greens or the government at this present time want to lead us down this road? Unfortunately, it looks like that's the way it's going and it's terrible wrong. And we have also, you know, Patricia, there's a massive, you know, spin-off here that we have. We have fantastic airports and ports, skilled workers who can, you know, have, have proven what they've done off the Kinsale field. The people at Barry Row and Court McSherry and Tim Lee and Kilburton, like there'd be a massive boom 
going back to Clonic Kilty and places like that and Bandon areas that need a boom at this time, boost at this time especially when it comes to, to seas and waters with fishermen you know losing their jobs at this pre- present time there's an opportunity here an opportunity this government cannot continue to ignore and they have and Minister Ryan is doing a terrible wrong by not at least talking to them because there's a wind energy solution there too that they're willing to walk into their project going forward and he's, he's just he shut the door and he's shutting the door on the Irish people here and and he's been allowed to do that by the government, and it's it's quite you know I'm quite angered by this, and I'm going to continue this, and my rural independent group uh, colleagues are going to continue bringing this up on the doll until we get some kind of movement, okay. common sense at the provision. Right, I, I can see a couple of of listeners uh, said they weren't even aware that there was oil off uh, Barry Road. That Barry Road field, when I, when I knew Michael was joining me today, I did a bit of research on it yesterday. It was actually discovered back in 1973. It's not something that was only recently discovered. That was when they first uh, drilled two well, wells in 1973. 1974 and that's when they discovered that there was oil in that Barry Row uh, field. Uh, j- just as an aside, uh, Michael, would it, also, would it also create employment in the area? There's a t- up to 1,200 jobs. Is there uh, that many? Uh, up to 1,200 jobs but on top of that you know, obviously the, the building of the field or whatever out there yeah. but also you see I suppose Barry Row was never overlooked that when we had a Kinsale field. Kinsale field is drying out unfortunately so the, um, obviously they've, they've done their research and Barry Row is, is, is as I said earlier on the, it's now the largest undeveloped oil and gas field offshore Europe and that's known uh, throughout the world and unfortunately our country should be jumping jumping up for joy to think we have such a resource offer to, and make use of that resource and instead they're turning their back on it looking towards importing and continuous importing and importing and there's a war going on out there and there's so many different uh, problems good God if anything uh, if there was something happened, that supply coming in across, we were in dire trouble in this country and we shouldn't have to look there. We sh- we have it in our own backyard. And that's all I'm trying to ask here is to let, these, let this licence continue, support it, bring it across the line, give us the supply in, 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 in 2035 and 2040 when Minister Ryan and, and, and the Taoiseach have said when we're going to have renewables and you know uh, wind turbines and everything up and running, that's fair enough. It's time then to switch off they reckon if this, if the Barry Row field was up and running, the production life of the field, they reckon, would be 25 years. So there's a lot of oil. There is a lot of oil um, there. Um, OK, listen, uh, Michael, thank you for that. And just while what, what I have you on the line, just um, I actually I saw this on, I think you were doing a Facebook live stream yesterday, and I was thrilled to see this because we had done a piece with Damien from West Cork Connect. We know there's a problem that the City Council have decided to relocate the buses that come from various parts across the county and indeed further afield uh, to to move them off uh, Patrick's Quay where they normally park. There's been a bit of a move, a shift on that from yesterday. There, There is, um, you know, the, uh, as you said, you had Damien on and, and in fairness he's running a massive service into West Cork and out of West Cork um, every day. Is, I think he's at 16 bus trips, 14 pick-up points on Skibreen. To, to Cork and from Bantry to Cork and, and you'll eat on the people travelling a day which is a huge amount of people bought in and out of West Cork the problem is uh, a lot of issues but the, 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 this issue was the, the parking in, in, in Patrick's Key which she was quite happy with they've changed it for to cater for cycling r- routes and, 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 and different maybe walking routes which meant that Damien and, and West Cork Connect was going to be, their bus was going to be moved out to Anderson's Key. Now, they're every hour on the hour, so Anderson's Key would put about 15 minutes change to their schedule, turning them the wrong way, 
meaning they were going through parts of Cork that they didn't need to go through. It was going to be a disaster that would have led to the cessation of the of, of, of the bus service, as in from Monday next, if a solution uh, wasn't brokered. Um, I always felt that the only one that could create a solution here is the mayor of Cork City, and that was Colin Kelleher. And I, I always felt that with Damon, I expressed that to him, that he needed to sit down with him. And in fairness, that meeting was arranged, and you couldn't meet more accommodative people, both the mayor of Cork City, Colin Keller, uh, Councillors Polly Dean, Sean Martin, Derek uh, Keller, and Des Cattell, I think. Or the minute, uh, sorry, the council there with Damien and myself. And in fairness, there was a solution broker. There was t- uh, three solutions put forward. One was uh, taken up on, and it it it, mean, it means that he'll still be in the we say the other side of Patrick's key, and that's acceptable. You know, everybody has to give a little. Yeah, he's to going to, he's, he's now going to be parking up at Penrose Key, which is a couple of hundred feet away from where they were parking on Patrick's key. Quite, quite happy that that means his business can still meet the schedule. There's thousands of schedules there. He couldn't change it. It will still meet the schedule uh, collection points on the way to Cork City, down into West Cork. And it, it, you know, it means that this service is this is a huge, huge service for West Cork and it's connectivity. And that's the one point they're trying to get across. I know they get across yesterday, but we were we were actually going to an open door. They were very accommodative. They understood Brilliant. that this service couldn't be lost to, to the car. Well, yeah, and, and, and I know when I was talking with Damien, I mean, he wasn't just being awkward about it. Like, he, he gave a very simple example, you know, that he times his buses out of West Cork to arrive five minutes before the bus leaves for Dublin. And so many people, as he said, if they need to get to Dublin either for business or maybe people going to the airport, they'd hop off his, the West Cork Connect bus and then they'd hop onto the Dublin bus. And he said, and I, and I straight away said, God, if you're going to the airport and you're dragging suitcases, he was saying it was going to be the, 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 the timing of it you were going to end up with people missing buses trying to haul suitcases across or people running onto the next bus and older people you know they, they, you try to make it as simple and as easy as, as possible uh, so I, I think it's fantastic that common sense has prevailed it is, yeah. In fairness, as I said, the door was open to all of just There was a. I, I knew from the beginning that they were they, they had a good intention for a, a solution here, and the sh- solution was put forward by Damien. He knows how the grass grows in relation to transport services throughout the country, but definitely in in in, in West Cork and Cork City. And there's huge potential going forward for Kinsale and Hasek, all that area to Cork as well. So, like, this is a, a, a good news story. In fairness, and, and I'd like to thank the mayor of Cork City, Colm Keller, and and the councillors that were there yesterday, as well as Damien for keeping his nerve and. and and put forward an excellent presentation yesterday okay. and a solution was reached and, and, and it's just at the end, in the Patrick's Key uh, as I said just at the end um, closer to the train station as it's crossing the bus station so I think everybody's happy with and that certainly today. good news for, for the many passengers on West Cork Connect OK listen Absolutely. Michael we leave it there thank you for that and uh, thank thanks uh, for joining us and that is uh, West Cork Independent Old Deputy Michael Collins Cork Today on C103 with John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Starting next Thursday and then running on the third Thursday of every month, the Alzheimer's Society of Ireland will host an Alzheimer Cafe. It's at the Chapelgate Cafe in Ballincollig. And to give us more details, I'm joined by Linda Grogan, who is a nurse manager with the Alzheimer's Society here in Cork. Good morning to you, Linda. Good morning, and, Patricia. And thank you so much for taking time out uh, to uh, talk to us. I suppose, firstly, how would you describe an Alzheimer Cafe to people who've never been to one? Yeah, so I suppose, um, you know, it's it's a cafe that's going to be run once a month um, from two to four um, in Ballincollig. So I suppose it just provides um, a very informal kind of safe space 
for people to come and meet with professionals. Um, you know, I suppose meet people that are, you know, sharing their experiences, learn from each other, um, you know, and gain kind of some, you know, a lot of support, you know, to, to guide them through, you know, their, their own situations. Um, I suppose our cafe um, this month, which is on Thursday, will have Dr. Michael O'Connor. He's a consultant geriatrician. So, you know, it's very professional help, um, you know, and guidance, really, that'll be there on the day. Um, and, you know, Dr. Michael will be happy to answer questions, which is very important. And I suppose it's not a clinical setting, you know, which is what people are, I suppose, are most familiar with. Meeting, yeah. Yeah, meeting so, I mean, the fact, the fact yeah. that, it's, it, that it's a cafe, it's yeah. very relaxed. You're sitting, I'm take, exactly. I take it, you're sitting there with your cuppa and your skull. With your cuppa, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's, I suppose that's the aim, really, is just, you know, people will feel comfortable Um you know, that, you know, as I say, they may share their experiences. Obviously, there's no obligation to share any experiences people are going through. But, you know, you do learn from each other. And, you know, we will also have our dementia advisor on site. Um, so, again, you know, they're very good at giving very practical advice, um, you know, and appropriate advice as well at, a, at an appropriate time in, in the journey of dementia. So, you know, very, very important, um, you know, sources of information um, will be there on the day. And I suppose I myself, I run two day centres for the Alzheimer's Society. And I've been with the Alzheimer's Society for, for since 2014. So, again, you know, it depends on the stage uh, people are at, you know, that I can give that kind of information, you know, around daycare. Um, and all the other services that, you know, are out there regarding, you know, the Alzheimer's Society, home care, daycare at home, you know, all those different services. Sounds great. That sounds People great. really, and, yeah, and, really need. And mm. the Alzheimer's Cafe, are, they, are other cafes like this run in other countries? Is this, is, did I read somewhere that this is based on an international yeah, model? Yeah, uh, it, it is, absolutely. Um, I, I definitely know they're, they're being run in, in the UK. Um, I'm not sure outside of that, but um, yeah, they, they seem to be very popular um you know i suppose for the for the reasons we've just we've just said i suppose that relaxed atmosphere people are more you know engaged and can open up really in in that kind of an environment you know um and they're not under pressure and the person with dementia are are very much welcome into the cafe as well and i think that's very important because we do want the person with dementia to have their their say and you know to to be part of this, you know, this is their their journey and, you know, we want to support them, you know, as well as their families. And for them to feel included. And, so, and, included. and while it is called an Alzheimer's uh, cafe, Linda, I'm mm-hmm. assuming it's all types of uh, dementia. Absolutely. And people, yeah. that, are people at all different stages of dementia? All the, absolutely. I mean, everybody's welcome, you know. Um, I suppose the people that are, are, you know, we would be hoping that will attend people with dementia, their families, obviously the professionals that would like to work you know with with um services and uh yeah so anybody that really has an interest in in you know dementia and you know those supports are, are very much welcome um we would Cause look forward I, to them. Yeah. i'm assuming i'd be right in saying that both patients living with dementia and the carers mm-hmm. can feel quite isolated isolated absolutely um you know and it you know, it is. There's a lot of care involved. You know, as as the 
the illness progresses, you know, and, you know, it, it can be a very lonely um, time for people. And I suppose with COVID, it only just highlighted that as well. So I suppose having all these services back and especially face to face, I think it's really, really important that these services are coming back um, and, you know, people are getting out and meeting people, you know. Um, technology has been amazing during COVID, but I think there's nothing like the human kind of interaction, really. Yeah, yeah. So it's great. And like, I am hoping that this will be one of many around the Cork area. You know, Um, we are aiming to kind of open a few of these cafes, um, you know, so that, you know, people from different areas, it opens up to to kind of all of Cork, really, and people will feel that they can attend. Yeah, and I know I've spoken with, on many occasions, um, Kevin Quaid, the wonderful advocate uh, who's living with uh, Louis Body uh, Dementia, and they run um, an Alzheimer Cafe in in Canturk. In Canturk, yeah. Yeah, as far as I know, it it went on Zoom, obviously, through COVID, um, and... I'm not too sure if it's back up and running um, face-to-face yet in Kenturk, but um, yeah, again, very, you know, and especially being ran by somebody who's living the experience as well is really important, you know, um, and, you know, people just need to know that there's all these services out there and, That's you it. know, that we're all here waiting to help and, and ready to help, you know. And I think for carers to meet up with other carers yes. because when when I mentioned, you know, the carers and the patients can feel quite isolated, but mm-hmm. sometimes the carers can feel that they're the only ones going through something like this. Absolutely. And it's great to chat with somebody else and maybe somebody who's living with somebody who's a little bit more advanced to, you yep. know, this is what you can expect or this is, this is what I did, you know, that peer exactly. support is absolutely it's absolutely, absolutely yeah, invaluable totally and, and how many do many people live with dementia in this country are, are the figures quite high the figures are, are increasing all the time I think it was up around 50,000 um, but you wow. know it is increasing and it is increasing all the time um, you know as I suppose as our population is ageing you know obviously um, dementia is predominantly, you know, in the older person. So, um, you know, as as we're aging, you know, obviously dementia becomes a little bit more um, prominent in the society. But, you know, there's, you know, with those, you know, 50 odd thousand people, there's, you know, a lot of people in the background, you know, families, mm-hmm. um, you know, affected, you know, because it is, you know, it, it, there's a lot involved, you know, when you're caring for somebody with dementia. But, you know, like that, um, it's about getting the support at the right time and you know um you know seeking out all those um services that are available to them i think is really important you are know, your are your daycare centers back up and running now this stage yes yeah, uh, are they? So we're, we're back up and running since uh, the 14th of december so i run um a day center in mitchellstown and i run one in Connor. Um, and there is another day centre in Mallow in Nanonagle at the moment um, while Mallow has been uh, renovated. So, um, yeah, so there's three in the North Cork area um, and, you know, we, we are busy. Um, but again, I suppose due to COVID, the numbers, you know, do need to remain slightly lower than, than they would have post-pandemic um, but or pre-pandemic. But, um, you know, people are coming out again, um, you know, the... They are coming out and seeking that kind of social interaction. And I suppose that's what daycare is, really. It's, um, you know, it's for the person with, with dementia to come out and, and you know, there's there's no pressure. We're very much client-led, you know, what anybody wants to do, we, we will facilitate that. 
Um, and then, you know, also it's a little bit of respite for the carer as well. You know, it's kind of a good chunk of hours, kind of six hours in the day, you know, that they can go and, and you know, have a do day, they have a day for themselves. Have a day. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. actually, when you mention respite, we've spoken so many times, particularly with parents of uh, children with uh, special or additional needs. Mm. And of course, mm-hmm. respite, respite for very obvious reasons, disappeared completely at the start of the yeah. pandemic. But so many people are struggling because the respite hasn't come back. What's, what's the situation with respite for, um, for dementia well, patients? I, I suppose in the North Cork area, um, we do have two respite beds. Um, so at the moment, one is in Amberley in Fermoy and one is in Chocolate in Newmarket. Um, they run very well. Um, the coordinator is Lino Sullivan. Um, so, you know... Basically, it is just giving two weeks respite, um, you know, and, you know, obviously there's cancellations throughout the years. You can offer a little bit more um, to people if it's needed. Um, You know, we do prioritise as well the people that might need it a little bit more. Um, so yeah, so there are two weeks respite. Well but always it. and always yeah. dema- demand for those beds, I imagine. There would be, yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And yeah. listen, it's it's the same everywhere. It's the same everywhere. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So listen, absolutely. Linda, the best of luck. Can people simply turn up next Thursday, or would you like them um, to contact you in advance? Absolutely. If they could contact me in advance, um, so there is an email address. So it's Ballancolic Alzheimer Cafe at Alzheimer IE, or there's my phone number, which is oh eight seven. Nine five five three nine four zero. Well, best of luck with it, and thank you, thank you for joining us, Linda. Thank you very much. Uh, bye bye. That thank is uh, Linda Grogan of the Alzheimer's Society. And actually, just where we're talking about the Alzheimer's Society, uh, Deputy Andreas Moynihan uh, was on to us to say he is holding his Alzheimer uh, Tea Day. Now I know the Alzheimer Tea Day was a couple of weeks ago, but he wasn't for whatever reason couldn't do it on the day. He's holding an Alzheimer Takeaway Tea Day from his office on. 5 South Square in McCroom and that's happening this Friday between 10am and 2pm. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Right across this week the winning certainly continues because we've teamed up with the Mallow Home and Garden Festival uh, which of course is one of Ireland's largest home and garden festivals. It runs the last weekend in May. There'll be over 200 exhibitors and they reckon that there's there is on average about 5 million plants that go up for sale and most of them sell out over the three days. You need to get in early if you want the best of the plants, I can tell you that. And there's a free bus service for anybody travelling to Mallow by train. They operate a daily free bus service from the train station out to the race course for you to enjoy the Garden Festival. And they've very kindly given us a Parma Rattan modular sofa set which we'll give away on Friday, but we need to get a daily qualifier. Then all five names go into the hat and one lucky listener wins that lovely sofa set. Here is today's well-known person who has a love of gardening. Take a listen to this and see, do you know who this person is? If you set goals and you want to achieve something and you go for it and you have a map and a plan of how you want to do it, you'll discover you can do amazing things. I was only talking about him on the programme yesterday. Didn't know that was going to come up uh, today. Who is that person? If you know who it is, uh, we need you to text the name of that uh, person along with your name and address to 0862103103. And because the, here's the hint, spelling of his surname can be 
bit difficult. We'll accept just his first name, John Paul, will we? <laughs> because his surname can be quite difficult to spell. So there's a hint. So we will accept just his surname, but you need, or just his first name. You need to text or WhatsApp. Who is this? If you set goals and you want to achieve something and you go for it and you have a map and a plan of how you want to do it, you'll discover you can do amazing things. 0862103103. If you think you know who that person is, uh, we'll leave it open for about 10 minutes. Then we will select today's qualifier who goes forward to the draw on Friday and could be in, it could be, you have, you have a five to one shot of winning a Parma Rattan modular sofa set thanks to the gang at the Mallow Home and Garden Festival, which is running a Cork race course May 27th, May 28th and May 29th with C103. Get working on that, please. And while we're waiting on that, some of your texts and calls coming into the programme. We were speaking with Deputy Michael Collins about the what he says is now an urgent need to take a look at Barry Row oil field and find out why it has not been optimised, particularly as we have an energy crisis. Jim says they once drilled for oil back in Whelan. He reckons it was sometime in the 1960s. So he says maybe now with better equipment, because equipment would have come on since the 1960s, it might be worth drilling again. It could be something like Barry Row and there could be oil in Whelan, says uh, Jim. Uh, but Mary in Cork City says the days of further exploration for fossil fuels has to end. She's very much against it. Well, it certainly has ended at the moment, uh, Mary, because as we know, the government, when the government came into power, there is a ban on granting new exploration licences. But what Deputy Michael Collins was talking about doesn't is different for Barry Row Oilfield because they already have the exploration licence. And as I say, there was a few people said they didn't even know there was oil off Barry Row. And when I was looking into it, it, it was first discovered back in 1976. But I think, you know, ev- like everybody is accepting renewable energy is the way to go. And it would be fantastic if we had 100% renewable energy. And that obviously is the long term goal, but it is a long term goal. And we have an energy crisis at the moment. And with the ongoing situation that's going on in Ukraine, nobody knows what way the energy crisis is going to go. All we know at the moment is we're all paying more for everything, particularly energy and actually just on paying more for everything when I was talking about car hire and uh, holidays it's been it was, I was reading in the papers today that uh, holidaymakers have been warned that the price of your flight could rise by nearly 10% this summer now this weirdly enough isn't to do with the rising fuel costs this is to do with demand in European resorts, I think because people haven't been away for the last number of years, there is this massive surge in the number of people who want to get away, leave their own shores and head abroad. And the hope is that people will leave their country and come to Ireland as well. But Ryanair and the Irish Travel Agents Association have said demand for beach resorts has spiked significantly, while airlines and airports have not recovered and they're still not back to pre-COVID capacity levels. So there's a shortage. Besides, there's a problem trying to find a place to stay in the resorts but there's also capacity at our airports. Uh, Pat Dawson of the Irish Travel Agents Association, who actually we were only speaking with last week on the programme with the lifting of the mask mandate, he described it as a classic case of demand outstripping supply. He said there were more people looking to travel 
then there are seats on aeroplanes. And he said that's the main reason that they are seeing fares going up. Ryanair Michael O'Leary was out yesterday saying holidaymakers should brace for price rises. Ryanair is saying that the price hikes will be around 10% and he said that's over the peak season as demand for breaks rebounds after the lifting of the pandemic uh, restrictions. Uh, Michael O'Leary of Ryanair uh, said they were likely, there's likely to be also ongoing delays at European airports and he's blaming that on staff shortages and God knows we all saw what happened before Easter at Dublin Airport and that was down to staff shortages. But seeming that has been reflected in airports all over the world. I know I was hearing out of Spain there was massive delays at some of the Spanish uh, airports and a little bit like what happened the weekend before Easter in Dublin, you know, where people missed their flights. They were queuing so long uh, to get through security. The same thing happened in European airlines as well. So that just isn't an Irish issue trying to get people to work at airports. Ryanair are saying that uh, prices would rise over the next few months um, due to a cut of about 15% in European flight programmes in the sector over the summer. So again, less capacity. There will be higher prices into the peak summer periods simply because there's just so much demand for people to get away to the sun. Ryanair say its peak fares for this summer may rise above those seen before the pandemic uh, struck and then the sentiment of Ryanair is certainly uh, being echoed when you look at the latest figures that have come out from the consumer price uh, index in this country that show that airfares rose 31.9% in the space of one month that was between March and April airfares have nearly doubled in price since April of 2021 according to the CSO but it's very hard to compare figures from April of 2021 or indeed figures of April of 2022 because obviously we had very high COVID restrictions at the time and there wasn't a lot of flights or a lot of people even able to travel so it it is really hard to compare like with like year on a year. Uh, Pat Dawson has said soaring fuel costs is not going to have a major hike are a major role in hiking airfares and that's because most of the airlines had hedged oils. They bought in their oil at a cheaper price and certainly Ryanair are really, really good at that. If they see anywhere on the oil market that oil is going to rise, then they, they buy it in and, and, and store it so that they have it so that when prices are sky high, they're not out looking for oil and most of the airlines have done that. So that's not, at the moment, it certainly is not going to have any kind of effect on the price of your air uh, uh, ticket. There's capacity issue. Cork Airport, again, is, is getting mentioned. Cork Airport, we unfortunately have reduced uh, capacity. Aer Lingus themselves have reduced uh, flights there uh, from Cork in particular and I saw a piece about Shannon Airport on the news uh, last night where they have capacity and they're trying to get Dublin, trying to get some of the planes because there's, it's almost like a funnel. Everybody's heading to Dublin because that's where the flights are and you go to Dublin Airport and it's jammers and yet there's nobody in Cork Airport and there, there's there's nobody in Shannon Airport. Now numbers have picked up in Cork and Shannon but they're still not at full capacity and they still could take extra flights. So I saw that push from Shannon Airport saying 
could flights from Dublin, instead of going all of them going out of Dublin, could some of them start going out at Shannon and Cork? And that certainly would be very, very welcomed news uh, for us here in Cork. The cost of flights over the coming weeks seemingly is reasonable. But then as soon as the children will break up for the school holidays, they start to go up again. There's also already indications as further peaks in October over that bank holiday week. Again, it's midterm for children. And obviously when the children break up uh, for Christmas, we can see flights going up again. And Pat Austin of the Air Travel Agents Association said that the air high airfares will likely continue into the foreseeable future. So the plan is, if you need to get flights, try and book them as quickly as possible. As they say, they're kind of reasonable at the moment. But as soon as the children break up for school, which is when the majority of people want to go on their holidays, that's when the prices are going to increase. 0818103103. John Paul taking your calls. A couple of calls into John Paul, actually including John and Cove. John? was uh, listening to me when I mentioned that the government today is signing off on this plan to pay families who decide to host Ukrainian refugees. They'll be given €400 per month and the same amount is also going to be given to people who've got an empty property that they've given over to Ukrainian refugees. It'll get signed off today. Now there'll be legislation has to go through on it. It'll be July, they're saying, and that could even go out, but it won't be before July before payments will be made. But John and Cove just said to any older person or somebody who is heading into old age, heading into their mid-60s, they might want to consider taking in refugees and think about it or at least do some research on it because he makes the point for people who are coming up to claiming their old age pension and this is people who would be going for a non-contributory old age pension which of course is means tested, you would be required by the Department of Social Protection to produce five years of bank statements. They're really digging in. They're really looking at your past, aren't you? Anyway, you'd have to give five years of bank statements. So John is saying that somebody, say, who is in their early early 60s, who is a few years away from getting their con- non-contributory pension, if they decided to take in refugees and then they hand in all their bank statements in three, four or five years and suddenly all of these payments come up on it, he's wondering would it affect the pension for the old age. My gut instinct will tell me no, that that will probably be factored into the legislation. But certainly, you're right, John, it's, it's worth flagging. And it's worth mentioning for people who are considering taking in, in refugees because you certainly don't want a payment into the future to be affected because somebody has been kind and generous about opening up their homes and their hearts to a Ukrainian refugee. So let's wait and see when the legislation comes out. But I imagine it is something that is going to be factored in because I know what was already mentioned was what about somebody who was living alone and had a living alone allowance and fuel allowance. A lot of those are means uh, tested. Would they be affected? And the Department of Social Protection came out very quickly and said no if somebody took in a Ukrainian refugee those kind of benefits would not be affected by it so I'm assuming John it will be the same for the non-contributory pension but we'll wait let's dig through the legislation first thank you for your call and then Joni McCroom was on to offer words of advice to the listener our first text this morning for somebody who is the head is wrecked from rabbits eating the heads off all the flowers. Joan says, here's one to try. You get a Jay's fluid, which I have to say, I can't stand the smell of. But anyway, you get Jay's fluid and then you get an empty mineral bottle, plastic bottle, empty it out. You dilute the Jay's fluid with water and you pop it into your plastic bottle and then you put holes in the bottle and you leave the bottle somewhere near your flower beds 
And the theory behind it is that the smell from the jade's fluid, it isn't just me that doesn't like the smell, but seemingly the rabbits don't like the smell of the jade's fluid. And Joni McCroom is obviously a woman in the, in the know because she ended her comment by saying it's terrific to keep rabbits at bay. And I haven't heard of that one before, but it certainly is worth a try. So some jade's fluid, a plastic bottle, dilute the jade's fluid with some water, lid back on the bottle and then I'm assuming put holes in the top of the bottle because you don't want the jay's fluid emptying out all over your flowers but the smell will drift out from the bottle the rabbits will get it and it should keep the rabbits at bay it has worked for our Joan in McCroom thank you for that Joan Uh, and if anybody else has tried that let us know I would be really interested because it certainly is one that I haven't heard of before 0818103103 Are we closing the lines on the competition? We are Okay, this is for the Mallow Home and Garden Festival If you set goals and you want to achieve something and you go for it and you have a map and a plan of how you want to do it you'll discover you can do amazing things who is that person? It is, of course, Baz Ashmawe. And as I did say, because Ashmawe can be a difficult enough surname to pronounce, we said we would accept just Baz at the answer. And actually, Baz, the reason I mentioned him yesterday was the DIY SOS. They're actually in Cork at the moment on a fantastic uh, project. Now, our qualifier today is Margaret Tanner from Inchigila. Congratulations to you, Margaret. You are today's qualifier. You go forward into the hat. We will, we have three more qualifiers to go and somebody on Friday then will be winning the Parma Rattan Modular Sofa Set. Compliments of the Mallow Home and Garden Festival, one of Ireland's largest home and garden festival and it runs at the Cork Racecourse May 27th, 28th and 29th with C103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. A charity bungee jump will be held at the Arches Bar in Mallow. Now, it's on the June Bank Holiday Monday, which is the 6th of June. Proceeds are in aid of Cystic Fibrosis Ireland and the Mallow Search and Rescue Group. You can register now to take part in the charity bungee jump by contacting Emma on 086 235 1674. And as part of Cork Bike Week, Inascara Community Centre will host a community cycle for all. It's tomorrow, Wednesday, starting from the centre at half six tomorrow evening. Now, there'll be a choice of two routes a six kilometre cycle and a 17 kilometre cycle. If children are planning and attending, please note they must be accompanied by adults. Mallow Rugby Club are inviting girls aged seven to 14 to take part in their Give It a Try rugby programme. It's currently running on Saturday mornings from 11am to 12 noon in the rugby pitch across from Tesco. You can contact Ian if you'd like more details 086 251 And Han Road Runners will host the Barry O'Sullivan Memorial 5K. It's next Saturday with runners starting from the school at 6pm and walkers starting from the school at 6.30pm. Registrations and donations can be done online if you just look for the Drumahan Road Runners. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. By the way, on the rabbits, and the Jay's Fluid. Somebody else has been on uh, a different marriage. Say, Patricia, the Jay's Fluid does work for the rabbits. 
I was pass that one on to Peter Dowdell because every time we get a call in and it's an annual issue that comes up every single year with uh, Peter Dowdell and I must pass on that tip I'll get John Paul to make a note of it and we'll pass that on as a tip uh, because certainly people's, people are, can be the bane of people's lives if you've gone to great work in your garden and to go out and all the heads of the flowers and I know the rabbits have to live as well but my God they can do tremendous damage inside in a garden and then I was talking about the flights and the cost of flights going up and uh, Ryanair coming out and the Irish Travel Agents Association coming out and it's to do with the the amount of demand and more people want to travel than there are seats available on planes and it's the classic case of demand outstripping supply and I think this is a very valid point from one of our listeners is there, no there isn't a name on this I can never understand why some in industries and as this case it's airlines can hike prices based on demand it just seems unfair if there's a man, demand why not add more flights are some people just can't travel if a grocery shop added 10% to milk because there was a run on milk. What would happen? People simply wouldn't buy it. Yet some industries can do it. It just seems so unfair. And I have to agree with you as well. Because if you're running a, if you're running a flight and it can take 200 passengers and 300 people want to get on the plane, surely you know how much that plane is going to cost to get from A to B. So you set your price. And surely it's the first 200 people who are lucky enough to book the tickets, pay. You still get your profit. You still pay your staff. Why does it suddenly have to go up because there's an extra 100 people trying to get the seats? I agree with you. I'm scratching my head on that one. I'm not an economist. Maybe there's an economist listening can explain it because I think your analogy is right about the milk. And do you remember when there was a run on the toilet paper? Remember the toilet paper rush everybody was heading out to buy toilet papers toilet paper and we were running out of toilet paper inside in shops even though none of us ran out at home because we all bought so much of it at the start of the pandemic but it wasn't the case that the supermarket was putting up the price of the toilet paper it was just that the demand outstripped supply and therefore they just had empty shelves until they could get the toilet rolls back in but they certainly weren't adding 10% to it just because more of us decided we wanted to stockpile so I think you've got a really really valid point and this listener says then just staying on flights absolutely agree with you about flights and the need for more flights out of Cork Airport I went to France earlier in the year and I had to travel with young children via Dublin. It was all fine, but the extra travel on the children was just it was just tough. Pity with such a lovely airport that we can't fly from Cork. We need more flights here. My sister lives in Switzerland and wants us to travel over to her. But the thoughts of the trip via Dublin again. And by the way, the lady with the rabbits, a Jack Russell will deter them. Says the texter, and um, but yeah, I would love if we had more flights from from Cork. A few weeks ago, when I was uh, travelling to uh, Ibiza, we had to go to Dublin as well because the, no flights to Ibiza out of Cork. And actually, when I was in, and I hate, and there's nothing wrong with Dublin Airport, and please, I'm not knocking Dublin Airport, but just the thought of that journey, and whatever about the journey up, because you're excited that you're going away. It's when you land and you have to make the drive home, and you're just thinking. And we spoke about it as we touched down in Dublin saying what we wouldn't give to be landing in Cork and you're only up the road and you're home. It's just, and there's an additional cost to it. And I know certainly for us, we had to book accommodation 
the night before because the flight was early in the morning so that was an, an additional cost and obviously the parking in Dublin costs more than it would cost in, in Cork so there's an additional cost outside of the inconvenience of travelling out of a Dublin airport and I know on the morning uh, before we were getting our flight and the airport was really jam-packed and we got through security and all of that but then when you got to the other side of security very hard to find some place to have breakfast and we were, we were so early we didn't get breakfast at the hotel so we were trying to get something to eat with Marsha at the airport and we found a tiny little uh, restaurant that didn't seem to be many people in and we managed to get some seats there and actually we ended up chatting to a couple who were heading to France they were from Bandon and they had made and we both sat there eating our breakfast. We shared the table with them and we sat there bemoaning the fact that we had had to travel from Cork and they travelling from Bandon were passing Cork Airport to come up to Dublin. But because where they were going in France, they couldn't get a flight out of uh, out of Cork either. And they'd done the very same thing as us. They had, had stayed in the very same te- hotel, would you believe, at us at Dublin Airport as well. And they had a knock on expense when they came back. Their flight back in was very late at night and they were having to overnight again in Dublin before heading back to Bandon. But we sat and had a bit of moan about it. So, yeah, I'm with you. I would love, absolutely would dearly love to see more flights out of Cork. So with so many people. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Cork today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Joe Heffernan uh, joins me. Good afternoon to you, Joe. Have you ever eaten, have you ever eaten rabbit stew? I, I, I'll be very honest with you now. My honest answer is I don't know in the distant past, but I don't think so. Did, <laughs> obviously, some people do still eat rabbit yeah, stew. Yeah. It, it was very popular. It was something that was certainly part of the Irish diet many years ago. Yeah, yeah. But I don't, yeah. I don't know now. OK, today yeah. we are talking about something that I think needs to be talking about more and that's panic attacks. And I was talking with Ken on the breakfast show this morning and when I was teeing up that you were coming on the programme mm. and we both made the same point that thankfully neither of us have ever suffered from a panic, panic attack. But we all know, I, I was with somebody one day and watched somebody go through a panic attack and it was the most frightening thing I think I've ever witnessed somebody yeah. going through, watching somebody really, really difficult. And a lot of people suffer from panic attacks and I think a lot of people suffer in silence and we don't talk enough about it. Absolutely. And, um, yeah, it's just basically that um, uh, a, f- a few people that I've spoken to who were experiencing panic attacks got an awful lot of, um, uh, what's the word, um, solace um, from uh, talking about what actually is happening? Um, uh, more than one person have said to me that, um, you know, that really helps when I think about it like that. Because the part of the, of the brain, the amygdala, now the amygdala is our great friend who uh, gives us the power to fight or flee um, when there is a danger. Um, uh, and the only problem is that the amygdala can start um, sending the signals for flight or fight with the adrenaline rush to the body, 
to be able to fight the enemy or flee um, when there is, in fact, no real danger. Now, that's when we're talking about a panic attack. So what is one of our best friends for survival becomes a problem. And the amygdala has no rational um, uh, function. So when it senses danger, um, in this case, you know, perceived, imagined rather than real, off it goes and it's um, very difficult then to talk it down and it can develop into from anxiety to high anxiety to um, uh, to a panic attack. So, and, are, uh, so, and, are, so are you saying are there different stages then of a panic attack? Does it? Does it? Well, I I think so. That I mean, um, we'll say that um, something sets one off. No, I I'll, I'll just take a simple kind of a, an example, like a, a past uh, trauma. Uh, we'll we'll say. Um, Right, we, we'll say a, a road traffic accident. Um, so, one is driving along, either as a driver or a passenger. We, we'll, we'll, we'll say as, as a passenger. And um, uh, there is, we'll say, um, right, a, a, a pothole. So there's a, a bump on the road. And this... Um, uh, Re, uh, it triggers the old uh, thing that happened. And then one starts to feel a bit queasy, um, you know, nasty kind of a feeling. Then there's an increase of the, the focus on the nasty uh, feeling. Um, like, oh God, my tummy is churning. Um, my heart is beating a bit faster. And then that can develop into, oh, my God, I'm having a heart attack. I can't breathe. And then one is into a panic attack. Um, Now, the things uh, that initiate a panic attack might be kind of quite clear. There's one that say, oh, yeah, it's down to what happened in the year off. Or it might be, I don't know why this is happening. Um, uh, But whatever is the reason behind it, um, whether a person was, we'll say now, for example, if a person had been using drugs, um, you know, one can have uh, their thinking process uh, interfered with. We'll, we'll, we'll put it that way. And, um, and then um, feelings and thoughts can combine to set off the adrenaline rush to the body All of the feelings um, that, uh, you know, uh, I can't breathe, I'm choking, uh, I'm getting a heart attack, um, are like, what's happening to me? And then the focus goes on the feeling, and um, it all seems uh, dreadful. So then there's the catastrophic thinking. Um, I'm going to die. I'm having a heart attack. I can't breathe, right? And then um, all of these sensations and thoughts uh, combine um, to uh, to create what we call uh, a panic attack, um, uh, that most terribly unpleasant um, uh, phenomenon. 
and the and 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 people get physical symptoms. Absolutely, absolutely, because the amygdala has um, has sensed danger here. The amygdala um, uh, the sends off the bodily response of the adrenaline rush, and then all these bodily sensations are felt. Um, but the whole the whole process begins with uh, danger here. Um, now the thing is that the reason I say that it's our great friend is that if we're all right in a field with a a, a bull charges us, yeah. the amygdala says danger here, danger here, and um, the adrenaline rush uh, helps us. Uh, we're not going to stand and fight the bull. Um, but the the other one, the flight or fight, um, we the the legs um, get the 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 rush and the whole body gets the rush of adrenaline, and we're probably able to run and clear a ditch or whatever. I'm just using that one example. Um, uh, more than we ever thought we could, and uh, and that's why it's our friend. But if the whole process then is happening, um, the adrenaline rush, the catastrophic thoughts, the whole lot, but there's no bull, there's no danger, it's only perceived danger, well then, um, that results uh, in, a, in a panic attack. No, I know that's being very simplistic. Yeah, but, it, but, but it's, it's the right way to put it. And then people who suffer from panic attacks, talk to me about the effect that ongoing panic attacks can have on somebody's life and their quality of life. The biggest problem of all is that one is only waiting for the next one. I think that's the biggest thing. Um, A person is um, on high alert waiting for, oh my God, if I get one of those panic attacks um, and I, I, what will people think um, if, if that should happen? So the anticipation of the next one is a blight on one's life uh, anyway. And um, therefore, one has to learn some strategies that will counteract um, the, the the feelings and the thoughts. Um, I, I often say that thoughts are not facts. We can think a thing, but that doesn't mean that it's a true thing. And likewise with feelings. Uh, feelings are not facts either. They're just feelings. And um, that can be helpful. But I, I suppose like many a thing to do with, um, uh, we'll say, a body, bodily arousal of, um, you know, in this case, fear and panic um, would be breathing. Um, it, you know, abdominal breathing. Now, Abdominal breathing simply means breathing to the tummy. And um, down through the years, I would have seen, we'd, I'd be talking with someone, we'd say, right, we'll do a bit of deep breathing now. And a lot of people think that deep breathing means breathing harder. And they kind of, you know, take in fierce whooshes of <laughs> breathing. And yeah. that's not what it means at all. <clears throat> I beg your pardon. Deep breathing simply means breathing deeply, namely to the tummy. Hence the name um, abdominal breathing. 
that um, uh, you know that you're uh, doing um, what's called deep breathing when your tummy expands when you breathe in. In other words, if you blew into a balloon, it would expand. And if you're breathing to your tummy, it will expand. So um, if you find that when you breathe in, that it's your chest is expanding. You're not doing um, it properly. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah properly. That, the, 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 you know, it, it stands to reason. That's what we call shallow breathing. And that won't do the trick. We and you believe, you believe people can recover from panic attacks? Oh, I've, I've witnessed it. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Without a doubt. And um, sometimes some amazing things can happen. I remember a person coming to me years ago and they were suffering from panic attacks. Um, uh, we, we, we'll say it just for example, um, a middle-aged man. And, um, uh, you know, the thing that often gets said is, I don't know where these are coming from. And, um, uh, you know, I remember the same person saying to me, the wife insisted that I come and talk about it, so fair enough. And, um, uh, and I said, like, did anything bad ever, you know, in the course of chatting, really, um, did anything bad ever happen back along there? And uh, No, not really, not really. And, um, you know, we went on. And then towards the end of that particular session, the person said, oh, you know, there was one thing. You asked me there the last day about a bad thing happening, and I did have a very bad um, uh, road traffic accident. And uh, he described it, and it was pretty horrific. Um, and in talking that through and in treating it as a trauma, you know... Um, you were able to get to the bottom of what was causing yeah, that. Yeah, because yeah, I, I, mean, um, I had a friend many years ago who was getting panic attacks, and it actually led to her developing a, a type of agoraphobia, really, was oh, what, yeah. what, what she developed. And eventually she said, I have to do something about this, and she did, and she went and she went away and, and got, got help. But, but the point I'm trying to make is, if, if you let them take over your life, it can develop into something like that where somebody doesn't even want to leave their home for fear of. She felt the only place she was safe was at home because she never got a panic attack at home and she felt she couldn't go anywhere. She couldn't go to work. She couldn't go to a concert. She couldn't even go to the supermarket because she did a panic attack uh, there. And it ended yeah. up, as they say, she developed, she almost, she did develop agoraphobia. She only felt safe in her own home. So it's the, the point is to people listening who are developing these panic attacks, help is available, but reach out Absolutely, yeah. and because one's world can become very small, very it quickly, can, it, it it can nearly reduce to one's bedroom yeah. or the kitchen, and um, that uh, they're not going out at all. And a saying that I have uh, quoted to, you know, more than one person down through the years would be like, a ship in a harbour is safe, but that's not what ships were built for. Yeah, that's a good, um, that's a great thing. You know. That's a great uh, our world can get very tiny with uh, with phobia. And there's a big, there's um, the a one big you mentioned, agoraphobia. We'll call it very simply the fear of going out in the world. There's a big beautiful world out there that uh, we need to enjoy. Listen, Joe, we leave it yeah. there. We'll chat again next Tuesday. Have a good week, yeah, and uh, thanks for joining us. That is Joe Heffernan, who runs a counselling practice in Bohabui. His number is oh eight six eight three four eight one four five. And that's why I leave you, Nick, and switch for the afternoon. Thanks to John Paul, who produced. We'll talk to you tomorrow at ten. 
Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.